Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's good news indeed, because for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Uh, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of Peace, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, We do best of uh, kind of recaps from the week on the weekend editions of the Bottom Line Show. So today, I would love to share good news with you about the good news here on this Good News Friday. The beauty of Good News Friday, of course, is we talk about this every week here on the broadcast, but uh, lest we think that the program initially started, it's funny, we started doing the Bottom Line Show September 19th, 2011. And it was during that time that we, uh, you know, we came up on holidays. It's like, okay, we got to do something nice for Thanksgiving and for Christmas and that type of thing. But then over time, a couple things happened. First of all, the show had to consolidate from two hosts to one. (laughs) Just that was an economic reality. And it happens in the business all the time. Um, Then shortly after I started hosting the program solo on April, excuse me, yeah, April the 29th, uh, 2013, God called me, well, actually, I'd been doing an internship in my church for a couple of years, but God called me into seminary, and I started studying with Niagara Lutheran Theological Institute, and I started getting my chops up for learning homiletics and hermeneutics and Greek and Hebrew and stuff like that, and got a very comprehensive but uh, overview of what it meant to be a Lutheran pastor, and then I wound up being ordained on the 23rd of August, 2015. So somewhere around that time, I, I noticed something going back and looking over some of my old sermons from that time. Um, I was a fairly okay presenter before I started studying this really intently. And you'll notice people have, have made the comment that once I started in my seminary journey, um, even though I knew the basic tenets of the Christian faith and I could articulate it to people, um, that's when we started getting a lot more dig deep into the word. And then on March the 12th, 2018, I had open heart surgery and realized, oh my goodness, I mean, this this life is but a vapor and I really shouldn't be taking it for granted. And it kind of turned me into an evangelist of sorts. I know Lee Strobel and I have had this conversation before about, you know, do you consider yourself an apologist or an evangelist? I think Lee is one of the best apologists around, someone who can actually make an apology or an explanation, not not the uh, traditional cultural apology, which is, I'm sorry. You know, that's what I think of right now. Apologize, say you're sorry. When the actual definition of an apology is to give an explanation. And First Peter 3.15 tells us that every time somebody asks us to tell them why we believe what we believe or feel what we feel as it pertains to our faith in Christ, we should be able to give an explanation. And, uh, and, and so toward that end, I, I found a calling uh, here in the Bottom Line Show to, uh, to really do, I think, a thorough explanation of the gospel because oftentimes I meet people who say, oh yeah, my church, we preach the gospel all the time. And what they mean is they teach out of the Bible. They don't necessarily preach the gospel. In fact, I did not get a clear articulation in a Lutheran church, which uh, specializes in the proper delineation of law and gospel, but I did not get a proper explanation, if you will, an apology, uh, until I went to seminary. And and the Lutheran Church prides itself on doing this better than most other denominations. But you could go to a non-denominational church or Baptist church or whatever, and they'll say, do you believe in God and you've been saved and you've been baptized and you give to the church? And, and that's all very well and good. But I, the way I see a lot of Christians living out our lives I don't want to say their lives because, I mean, we are all part of one body of Christ. It's been brought to my attention, and we've been made very much aware of the fact that 
the uh, the call to Christ is the call to serve, but it's also the call to repentance. And you first have to be able to acknowledge the fact that you are sinful, that we are sinful apart from Christ, and we cannot free ourselves from the bondage of sin. Now, that sin came into the world because of mankind, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. But since through man came sin, death, if you will, also through man came the resurrection of the dead, and that is Jesus Christ. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the, uh, the, the righteousness and the children of God. And that all begins here at the culmination of the Advent season with the birth of Jesus Christ. But one of the things I love about Scripture and studying it is how many years, you know, people walk with the Lord and they'll say, yeah, I know this. I I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. I'll never forget the first time I ever came in contact with somebody who had one of those aha revelation, revelatory moments. It was at a, a church uh, locally. It was uh, part of an orchestra that was actually uh, playing. Uh, my dad was doing a Christmas musical or Easter musical, something like that. And it must have been Easter because a gentleman who I'd known for quite some time, uh, who had been in part of these groups for many, many years, came up afterwards to me and he goes, you know, this is a really great cantata. I don't remember which one it was. I mean, they were all great. <laughs> I was just biased with toward my dad. And he came up to me and he said, wow, I'm so glad you played and this is really great. He goes, you know, that Passover thing. He said, you know, I, I, I never really made the connection that because of the blood of the lamb, of the sacrificial lamb, that the angel passed over the, the homes of God's people who were there. And in the same way, the blood of the lamb marking and cleansing our hearts means that sin and death will pass over us as well. And I thought to myself, that's interesting. You've been in church for 40 years and you're just now figuring this out. But it made me aware of the fact that for those who would say, well, there you go, preach it to the choir again, we desperately need to preach to the choir because there are a lot of people coming to church, singing in the choir, super volunteers teaching Sunday school who may not know the basic tenets of the faith. So over the years, Good News Friday started out as a, hey, here's a Christian doing something great, or here's the government doing something good for the church, or whatever. And it was kind of innocuous. It was really, I mean, innocent, I think, in, on a rather naive level. But over time, and especially post-surgery, that is probably the most common email I get from bottom line listeners. You know, every now and again, it's a rebuke. It's a constructive criticism. I mean, even if you're wrong, at least you're articulate. and you. <laughs> I mean, and I mean that sincerely. And I don't answer all of them because, quite frankly, I mean, getting into little side conversations uh, may not be the best thing for the overall health of the program pertaining to when someone does bring something up and then we say, well, hey, let's talk about it on the air. We can bring it up for group discussion. So if you've sent me an email recently and I didn't respond to you directly, that's the reason why. Nothing personal. It really is just a, a matter of saying, hey, what? how can we benefit the larger body of Christ? You get several hundred thousand people who tune into the program over the course of a week and want to get everybody involved instead of just having you know sidebar conversations. But it's amazing to me how when you talk about the good news, how many people you know who uh, profess a really strong faith in Christ don't really know it. There are a lot of people who are going to be going to church tomorrow night and maybe on Sunday morning, and hopefully your church is meeting Sunday morning. I really do pray that we would not abandon the Lord's Day because we want our open presence at home. But the idea that there are people who think they know what they don't really know, and the fact that they also maybe... Uh, can keep learning things. I, I, I'll tell you what, that whole passage uh, in Lamentations about God's mercies being new every morning, it never ceases to amaze me. 
and this especially since my surgery, but it never ceases to amaze me how many times I'll hear a sermon from a pastor somewhere else, maybe not even my church, and or I'll hear a commentator on the radio or you know, read an article or something like that where God will open my eyes a little bit bigger, open my heart a little bit more, my mind uh, it gets expanded to say, wow, I didn't know that. And I love that discovery. I love that that sonriendo moment, you know, where you're, oh, this is the beginning of the sunrise, right? It's just, it's, Michael Card calls it the sunrise of your smile, but you, it hits your soul and you, it just reflects on your face. It's just so wonderful. I really, as my prayer for you this Christmas, is that as you go to church, as you go to worship, as you spend time with family, that God reveals himself, that there's one more present under the tree, if you will, for you faith-wise, that you can open up and say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize, I didn't know. And, and thus you grow deeper. Instead of saying, oh, wow, I didn't know. I feel kind of dumb about that. It's, no, wait a minute. I didn't know, and God gave this gift to me so I can grow deeper in relationship with him. That is my prayer for you this Christmas. So this Good News Friday today, uh, we're taking the first hour of the program, and I want to focus on a part of the story that we blow right past so often. It involves uh, people who were the first to hear the good news of the actual birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the role that they played in helping to uh, tell the greatest story ever told. Uh, Each of us has a shepherd story, as I like to say, and I want to dig into this a little bit and explain more about what I mean by that and how we can all be encouraged this Christmas. So buckle up. We're going to take the next hour here. We'll take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and get into our shepherd story on this Good News Friday Christmas Eve Eve edition of The Bottom Line. Keep it right here. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to this Christmas edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news. And we're talking about the best news ever, which is for unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. And we're talking about this from the perspective of Old Testament writings in uh, Isaiah and New Testament writings in Titus, of all places, Titus chapter 2. And then the uh, gospel account in uh, Luke chapter 2 as well. You know, the, the idea I mentioned earlier that each of us has a shepherd's story or a shepherd's song to sing. And as we celebrate the glory to the newborn king that we're celebrating, and for many people in daily ministry and regular ministry for ha- more than half my life, um, it was that was always something that was really sacri- sacrosanct to me. And I realize now, uh, now that I haven't been in pulpit ministry for about a year and still waiting for God to open up the next opportunity, uh, that I look at that now and I say, you know, it's more important, I think, for people to come and hear the Christmas Eve message than for them to physically be having their butt in the pew on the 24th of December. And and I realize that, you know, for some people for whom Christmas isn't that special of a day, 
you know, quite frankly, anytime God's people are together and the gospel is being proclaimed, um, that's a day for celebration. So if we look at the calendar and say it's December 24th, go to church, by all means do that. But it's amazing how many churches would say, oh, yeah, you have to be here on the 24th, but then they'll go, wait, the 25th is a Sunday. What do we do with that? You know, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, it shouldn't be a hard decision, but it's amazing how many it is because, well, you know, no one's going to come. Really, no one's going to come. So we have to go to Christmas Eve service on the 24th, but if the 25th is a Sunday, then, well, no one's going to be here. I mean, let, let's get our priorities straight just a little bit, shall we? Okay. Our shepherd story. Um, the idea that we have the same reaction and we are privileged to get the same information that the shepherds did. I mean, when you get right down to it, if you look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, you see that part of the reason why we shouldn't be surprised that shepherds out in the field watching their flocks by night would receive the pronouncement. Shepherds didn't really have a whole lot of stature in God's economy, or not in God's economy, but in Jesus' day. And yet, Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And I realize that at Christmas time, sometimes folks will say, well, yeah, here come the Christian, the Christmas and Easter, uh, the chicken and egg, the CDs, whatever you want to call them, people. And we try to keep them entertained, but we don't really preach them the gospel, which begs the question, why? Why would you water down this message? I mean, there are people wandering around the world today, trying desperately to figure themselves out. I, the, the older I get, the more crazy I see the laws, like the passage of this so-called Disrespect for Marriage Act and, 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 and see how uh, Christianity is being marginalized in the culture. I could be frustrated. It is kind of frustrating at times. But at the same time, it, 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 it breaks my heart. I mean, it really is. It saddens me. You know, I mean, this really is, you're looking for the bread of life and living water and the world offers you two different types of fast food and sometimes you're hungry and you have to pick the one that isn't going to hurt you the worst, you know? I mean, th th this is, let, let's not try to Christianize the political world. Rather, let's be salt and light and say, if these are the options, these are the options. But we can't forget that the gift of salvation, the grace of God has appeared and all have been offered salvation. So the question is not a question of people saying, why did God turn his back on him or her or whatever? Well, we love because he first loved us, but he rejects those who reject him, who walk away from him. I mean, salvation turns us away from worldly passions and it points us toward eternity. Look at the very next verse in Titus chapter 2, verse 12. If God's salvation does in fact teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. You will know the people who are truly of the Lord by the way they act, by the way they handle themselves. I, I have to admit that the, uh, the older I get, it is tougher and tougher for me to, uh, to not be hypercritical of myself or of people. I, I want to be more gracious. And so I find myself kind of getting pulled in, in two different directions. You know, on the one hand, uh, wanting to be more, be more gracious and loving and maybe a little more understanding and accepting of certain things. But in other cases, kind of getting cantankerous and get off my lawn, you know, type of thing. You know, it's interesting, though, because what we have to own up to, if you will, is that apart from Christ, there's no way anyone can be transformed from unholy to holy. The gift of salvation is available to everyone. But God welcomes 
special people to join him in eternity. This is what Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says. The one who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own is eager to do what is good. Redeem from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. We are God's chosen people, those who have uh, given their hearts to him. We gave our hearts to him simply because he prompted us to do it. I'm not saying he Jedi mind tricked us, (laughs) but the gift of salvation is a result of the gift of faith and acting upon it. We are special people. And so when you think about the special people, I, I like the, the way that uh, uh, Titus phrases this here, or that, that is phrased in Titus chapter 2. Uh, the King James Version says, uh, Purify us as a special people for himself, a people eager for all fine works. The word for special here, the special people, if you will, in the Greek, uh, perisonius, literally means reserved for. Now, you might think, okay, well, that sounds really nice and really special. I think that it's nice to be included in that group. But basically, it was a term that was used in Jesus' day uh, for a king who goes to battle against another king in that king's empire. And the conquering king would then uh, basically say, okay, well, to the victor, get the spoils. I'm going to take the land and the people and the candle, uh, the, excuse me, animals. I wanted to say the cattle and animals together, and it came out cannibals. But basically, I want the spoils here for me. We conquered all these people and all this land and all this stuff, so that belongs to the empire. But I want this special part set aside for me. So when you look at the characters in the Christmas story, as it were, think of them as, I mean, God always had his chosen people, the Jews in Israel, up until Jesus coming in. Now, the new Israel, as uh, Chad Bird at uh, 1517 would say, and uh, Steve uh, Gregg at Narrow Path would say, the new Israel, if you will, is Jesus, and all who are in Jesus are now God's chosen people. So for people to say, well, what about Israel? Israel plays a special role in history, which it does, and that's for another conversation. But understand, of course, that there is no replacement theology, per se, where American Christians have replaced uh, you know, Middle Eastern Jews as God's chosen people. Rather, it's Old Covenant, New Covenant. And Jesus saying, I'm in Luke 22, 15, I'm eager to celebrate the Passover with you. It's him saying, hey, I want this badly. I mean, and he takes a term, ironically, that was typically used about some, for something that you coveted, something that you weren't supposed to want. So for Jesus to speak that word and to say, I am eager, I've eagerly desired to celebrate the Passover with you, this is a huge deal that he's doing for us at Easter when the redemption plan comes into full effect. Here, basically Titus is saying, hey, look back on that thing. This gift is available to everyone who God sets aside as special, the ones who will be cleansed, washed in the blood of the lamb, and will be special unto him. So now the question you have to ask is, well, who are the special people, the first very special people apart from God's chosen people? Who did God choose to be special people? Well, think of them. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds. I mean, they were all special people and they heard from God. Well, what made them 
all that special? You might be wondering. Well, we'll take a listen. We'll take a look at a list of their uh, qualifications for being special people on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marshett. You know, every now and again, Christmas Eve or coming up on Easter or whatever, a major holiday. Sometimes Pastor Roger takes over the program, and uh, that's what's happening today as we're devoting the first hour to the beginning of the good news, which is the birth of Christ. It's the culmination of this Advent season, and because of the life that he lived on earth and the, 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 the work that he did on the cross uh, with our Easter celebration, as it were, the Resurrection Day, uh, then ascending into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so that's the second Advent that we also celebrate this time of year. But we're talking about the shepherd story that each of us has to hear the good news proclaimed to us about the birth of Christ and what it means to us as our Savior has come, and then the calling that each of us has, our own shepherd story, if you will. I was talking before the break about how Titus chapter 2, uh, we, we read about the special people that God has set aside for himself, and Paul uses a word uh, in, the, in the writing to Titus where the, the, the term uh, in the Greek literally refers to the, there is plunder that is taken from a, a, a victorious uh, battle that a king would engage in against another empire, but then there's the spoils, if you will, that the king says, save that for me. And that's the term that Paul uses to describe anyone who God has set apart for himself. The gift of salvation is available to all who will repent, but the ones who do, God says, those are my special people. Well, the first special people we read about in Scripture are Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, right? So you might be asking the question, what made Mary and Joseph so special? And the short answer is, not much. (laughs) I mean, they were poor. They were simple. We know there's nothing really remarkable about them. I mean, quite frankly, when we look at the crash, the manger sequence there, and we see the figurines of Mary and Joseph and camels and, you know, baby Jesus in the manger, um, if you had seen, we hold that as a big deal because that's the way we've been taught. We know what the scriptures say about this. But if you had been out in Bethlehem that night, walked right by, you would have just kept on walking. Oh, that poor family. It's so cold out here. They got stuck in the, uh, in the manger. Well, if it was cold in July when this probably actually happened. You wouldn't have given him a second look. But because the angel Gabriel came to Mary and the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and basically said, you know, here's the deal. You are special. And Mary most highly favored. And the whole bit in Luke chapter one about the, the spirit of the Lord hovering, overshadowing her. It's the same term. That term in the Greek is the same term in Hebrew that you see in the Genesis account of uh, chapter one of the book of Genesis, where, you know, the earth was formless and void and God's kind of hovering over before he starts his creation. He's separating darkness from light and sky from land and that type of thing. It's the same word. So God is overshadowing Mary. And so when Gabriel speaks to her, her response is, how can this be? For I'm a virgin. It's not a question of what do you mean this is going on? I'm 16. I mean, I still have my whole life ahead of me. Like totally for sure, I'm not doing this. That, that's not what she says. Joseph has the same response. Joseph, you're going to find out Mary's pregnant. Don't divorce her. And basically he has the same deal. That makes them special because the gift of faith has been placed upon their hearts. So where do the shepherds come in? I mean, in Jesus' day, uh, the rabbis, I mean, the Jewish leaders basically said the shepherds are outcasts. I mean, here's the part where, I mean, yeah, you raise the lambs for sacrifice or whatever, but you're ceremonially unclean because you're with the animals all the time. 
So for all intents and purposes, the shepherds really don't have any say, especially not in the church, but even in society. Well, Mary sees one angel, Joseph encounters one angel, but the shepherds are then approached by a multitude of the heavenly host. Why? What made them so special? Well, this one takes a little bit more explanation. And so I encourage you to stay with us through the break. I highly recommend that you find a place to worship or to head to your regular place of worship, or maybe you and your family can find one of the houses of worship that you all like to worship at. And spend that time contemplating how special Mary and Joseph were, how special the shepherds were, but how special you are too. Special and precious in God's sight, he treats us so well, starting with the gift of the birth of his son and allowing us to look upon the face of God and not die, but instead to find everlasting life. We're going to continue this shepherd story in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are taking this next segment here to take a look at, hope you have a chance to uh, worship the Lord, celebrate his birth with your friends and family, and I encourage you to uh, please worship the Lord on his day. We celebrate the glory of the newborn king, and I'm taking a look here at Titus chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 9, and then, of course, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, the first 20 verses there as we see us as receivers of the good news of the gospel. There's sin in the world. We are born sinful into a fallen world. We are separated from God because of that sin. But on that Christmas night, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the birth of Jesus Christ. Wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger in Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn, but quite frankly, even that, the symbolism of Jesus not having a welcome place to go, so being a nomad in this uh, culture that we live in, and um, and also kind of being a uh, one who would stand up against the Jewish tradition and help them see there's a new covenant in town, a new place. You know, the gift of God is available to all people, and that's the, the beauty. I mean, uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, uh, peace, goodwill toward all people. I mean, the gift of God is available to all. We see this in Titus 2.11. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Verse 12, God's salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. It does turn us away from the worldly passions. It points us toward eternity. But when you think about people who are trying to have the best of both worlds, you know, I want heaven, I want everything that God has to offer, but I also want the worldly passions too. So does Jesus have to be my Lord exclusively? I think we've seen over the past five to 10 years, especially over the last two to three, how many people who have, you know, kind of claimed the name of Jesus really aren't necessarily living that way. I mean, apart from Christ, transformation like this is impossible, but the gift of salvation is available to all and God welcomes everyone who receives that gift as a special person to join him in eternity. In Titus 2.4, uh, we see the King James Version renders it this way, uh, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us as a special people for himself, a people eager for all fine works. The Greek word there, uh, parousios, literally means reserved for, it's a military term. And it means that uh, when the king would do battle with another kingdom, 
the victorious king, of course, would take the plunder. They'd take the land and, you know, the animals and other soldiers were into captivity. And uh, it, it was, you know, that was just the, the rules of engagement. But then the king would look at all the plunder and say, wait a minute, that gold I want for me. Those cattle I want for me. That, 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 this is what I want for me. And that term, parousias, literally means reserved for the king. And that's the term Paul uses to describe the fact that we who have been born into a wicked state in a sinful fallen world, when you receive the gift of faith that enables you to receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? You become one of those special people. And I like it. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Now, we think of the first special people. I mean, because the Jews were God's chosen people, but Jesus becomes the new Israel. Now there's a new covenant. We're going to see that 33 years later. But for our purposes right now, who are those first special people? Well, the good news is, well, they're Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And if you're wondering what made Mary and Joseph special people, <laughs> not much. Poor, simple people. I mean, the kind of folks that you would have walked right past in the marketplace would not give them a second look. But remember when the angel Gabriel, Gabriel appeared to Mary and tells Mary what's going to happen to her? She's a teenager. She's a virgin. She's not been with a man. There's, she knows how babies are formed, and she knows there's no way a baby can be formed naturally in her body. But when she asks, how can this be? Was it Luke 138? She says, how could this be? Because I'm a virgin. She's not saying, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. No, 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 I'm going to college. No, 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 you can't. I'm a strong, independent woman. That's not going to happen. And oftentimes, I think some modern theologians lose sight of that. They're like, yeah, look at Mary. Boy, she really took things on for herself. No, the, everything Mary does is in that one phrase where the, Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you. That term for overshadowing in the Greek is the same term in Hebrew for God hovering over the waters in the creation story. He's about to do something wonderful. And so Mary is basically not saying, hey, you can't do this to me. She's saying, wait, how could this be? She's already in. That answer tells us that she is all in on this by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, God bless her for carrying the Christ child, but I don't want to say she didn't have a choice, but the Holy Spirit was strong with that one. Same thing with Joseph. Gabriel shows to Joseph in the dream and says, you know what? You're going to find out Mary's pregnant. Do not divorce her because they were engaged at an engagement. Betrothal was about a one-year process. It was a legally binding contract. Because of infidelity, she would always be the bad person, and he could have divorced her. He didn't do it. Well, Mary got an angel visit, and Joseph got an angel visit, but the shepherds got a whole, they got a multitude of the heavenly hosts visiting them. What made them special? Well, in God's economy, they were special. But in the world's economy, not so much. I mean, when you get into ceremonial cleanliness and uncleanliness and that, that type of thing, the rabbis of Jesus' day basically said, hey, look, shepherds, you're outcast. You'll never be clean. You can't come worship with us. I mean, as a matter of fact, they were so devalued that if they were brought into Jewish court for having committed a crime, if they shared testimony trying to defend one of their brothers or sisters, or if they were brought up on charges, no one would pay attention to their, they had no value in court. No one would listen to their testimony. So who does God bring this great message to? <laughs> Ironically, and kind of musical humor here, the ones who had no voice in the culture, God gives them a song to sing. 
And that song is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace upon whom his favor rests. Now, what's interesting about this is the shepherds come to Bethlehem and see Christ the Lord, the newborn king. You know the song, right? Angels we have heard on high. When the shepherds come, they're coming to see because God told them what to see. They're not thinking, hey, if any Pharisees or any Jewish leaders ask us what we've seen, they're not going to believe us anyway. But we know what we saw, we know what we heard, and they go to see the Christ child. They come and they leave their labor and they come and they see, just as they were told, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, it's kind of unusual because you typically didn't see babies in a manger, that little hay trough where the donkeys would feed. I mean, you don't really think about that being a a, a place that uh, royalty would be, let alone just a human baby. It is interesting, as some writers have pointed out, that Jesus came into this world with, uh, you know, wood on his back and left this world physically, having been nailed to a wooden cross. The fact that he was with the animals and the lowest of the low and a couple of simple people who wound up getting married and doing what God told them to do out of obedience. And the first message of the good news was proclaimed by those who literally didn't have a voice in society. But there are some things about the shepherds and their vocation and the condition they found Jesus in that are worth noting. I want to get into those on the other side of this break, and then we'll talk about our shepherd story and how we can probably relate to the shepherds a lot more than we ever thought we possibly could. Let's do that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Hey, Roger Marsh here with a special announcement for our friends at Preborn. This Sunday, December 31st, is the end of the year. It's also the end of the calendar year. It's also the last chance you have to make a tax-deductible donation to Preborn to support the ministry of providing free ultrasounds for women who are expecting and not quite sure what their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, your $28 donation provides an ultrasound visit and also will be doubled, so that's worth $56. If you make a $15,000 donation right now, which is a great thing to do if you have the means. It's a great tax deduction for you. It provides one ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic right here in the Southland. But also, since the gift is doubled, your one ultrasound machine becomes two. But you have to act before midnight, December 31st. Give a gift online at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner that you find right there. It doesn't take more than a minute to make the donation that way. Or give them a call, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY. 850-B-A-B-Y. That's 833-850-2229. Preborn is the best pro-life ministry I've come across in years. The preborn ultrasound technology is life-changing and life-saving. Give a gift today. Welcome back to this Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's so grateful to have you along here. And so we have dedicated this segment of the program to just talking about the good news of the birth of Christ and how we as Christians can fully appreciate that uh, beautiful, wonderful, spectacular gift simply by acknowledging the fact that the shepherds were given a song to sing, the shepherds have a story to tell, and quite frankly, we have a shepherd's story to share as well. Now, I mentioned earlier that we see uh, the fact that uh, all of chapter one of Luke's gospel talks about, well, some other things, not all of chapter one, but uh, the 
bulk of chapter one talks about the angel Gabriel showing up to Mary and, and giving her the good news that she would be carrying uh, the Christ child. And she responds with her Magnificat, which is a beautiful response for any person of faith. And then Joseph to be informed that Mary's going to have a child. But ordinarily, customarily, that would mean he would divorce her. But uh, the angel says, don't do that. And then the multitude of the heavenly host approach the shepherds and tell them, go to Bethlehem and see uh, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. And they go. And this is the most marginalized group of the Jewish culture. So much so that if they ever had to come into Jewish court and stand before the, the Pharisees, Sanhedrin, what would happen? Nothing. Not for them anyway. They, they would be ruled for or against on the testimony of others, but their words had no validity. Well, their words may have had no validity in Jewish court, but now their song is going to be the first testimony of the birth of Christ that we hear. Why did God do this? Well, this is interesting. Think about this for just a moment. They go to see the Christ child wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's interesting because Luke uses this term. It's a medical term the term swaddling. It was used for a couple different reasons. Uh, first and foremost, when it came to uh, lamb, oftentimes the uh, the limbs were wrapped up in a cloth like uh, what we would call a swaddling cloth because the idea was to help the limbs grow straight. But go a little bit deeper with me and find out that some of the shepherds who had no voice in Jewish culture were also called and charged with the responsibility of raising what we would refer to as the sacrificial lamb or the sacrificial limbs, the ones that would be presentable without blemish or defect as sacrifices under the Lord. Remember in Genesis 30, uh, Jacob had that rather odd, he's had the, having that little battle with Laban, his father-in-law, and he wants to uh, make sure that they have an even split of you know what the the property and everything. And so Jacob gets into his little breeding program where he is. He says, Look, "I'll tell you what, all the spotted and striped uh, lambs, so that, that part that those will be mine, and the other ones are going to be yours." And then he starts going about <laughs> and taking the bark and the branches and putting them on the coats and dipping them in the water, doing everything he can to make sure he can produce as many of those as he possibly can. Well. In the culture, when it came to the sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial lambs had to be ones that were perfect, that had no spot, no defect, no blemish whatsoever. Because, you know, let's face it, our human tendency would be to say, look, if we have to sacrifice an animal, we're going to find a blind one. We're going to find one that's deaf. We're going to find one that can't really walk all that well because we want the healthy ones to reproduce and be a good farmer, you know, uh, farming equipment, if you will, for us. That's what we as human selfish people would like to do. But God says, no, bring me your best. You know, bring me the first fruits from the storehouse. Bring me the best bunches of grapes, the best grain and the best wheat. Bring, bring me the best of the best to sacrifice in the temple. Don't just bring me your beat up stuff and do not bring a wounded animal. So think about that. First and foremost, any shepherd would use a cloth around the legs of the, the lamb to make sure the lamb could stand up straight because, in all honesty, you've seen the way lambs are built. They're built kind of funny. I mean, they're built kind of like old New York City apartment radiators, right? I mean, tiny little feet and big bulky bodies and then all that wool and those tiny little you know thing, ears on their heads. And, I mean, that, that whole thing about the Lord is my shepherd, he anointeth my head with oil, the... the, the <laughs> 
to keep the flies off. That's what the shepherds had to do because the lamb, if you think about it, has no way of scratching his head. But the sacrificial lambs, they took that swaddling cloth thing a bit further. The lamb was born, and not only would they wrap up the limbs to make sure the limbs grew straight, they'd wrap up the entire body of the lamb. Why? Because as Jacob showed us, if that lamb brushed up against something, it would be marked, it would be blemished, it might potentially hurt itself. And, and, And lambs, and I say this in all love and respect, sheep are not exactly smart animals. So you could see a lamb brushing up against a rock or against a tree or something like that, getting marked up and potentially bruised. So the shepherds who raised the sacrificial lambs would not only wrap the limbs to make sure they would grow straight and strong, but they would wrap up the lamb for the lamb's protection so that there would be no blemish. So there would be no bruise. There would be no marking on there whatsoever. Now, we think often about, you know, a baby, a newborn baby's born, and we just wrap them up, you know, and do that. But the swaddling cloths that Jesus is, or that, uh, that Luke is talking about for us here is more of a, like I said, it's a, it's a medical type of term. It's not just a, hey, someone give me a baby blanket. You think about it, Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of means. They basically would not have thought anything other than Mary would try to keep the baby warm, maybe in her own garment. She certainly would not have had swaddling cloths with her because they weren't carrying a bunch of animals with them, and they certainly weren't raising sacrificial lambs. But who was? When you think about how special the shepherds were in this story, God literally singles them out. Here comes this, a multitude of the heavenly host means too many angels to count. Mary and Joseph got an angel each. It was the same angel. The shepherds got the multitude of the heavenly hosts. When you hear Handel's Messiah being sung by a church choir with two, three, four hundred voices, imagine that on steroids for the song that was being sung. To shepherds! Because God called them special. Prosinus. God said, I am separating you for my purpose. You will be the first to hear the good news that the Savior has come. Christ the Lord is born in Bethlehem. Go see it and then go t- go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ was born. Now think about this for just a, a moment and especially in the world that we live in and the times that we're living in right now. We live in something uh, that uh, the world often refers to as the cancel culture, right? Uh, my buddy, uh, colleague uh, Joe Dallas has written a book that's become very popular uh, Joe's done ministry for three, four decades helping people in with unwanted same-sex attraction come out of that lifestyle with Genesis Biblical Counseling. And he recently, about a year or so ago, wrote a book called uh, Christians in a Cancel Culture about how do we in the body of Christ stand up to the culture that's trying to cancel Christianity. Well, first and foremost, I know this is it's of little comfort if you're potentially losing your job or, uh, you know, getting hassled by your neighbors or whatever. The light of Christ will never be overcome. The darkness cannot over... Scientifically, darkness cannot overcome light. You could have the largest, darkest, most horrible stretch of dark around, and one tiny light is now visible to everybody who is within an eyewitness account of that light. If you think about the plagues 
during with Moses and Pharaoh and the plague of darkness. Can you imagine how dark it had to be? Because even when we say, wow, it's the darkest night you've ever seen, if there's one tiny little star way up high, that light will pierce through that darkness and you'll, your eye will be drawn to the light. So when you think about you know, how, how special this moment is and the fact that the culture had been trying to cancel out, Herod tried to cancel Jesus, tried to kill him. I mean, this, this is nothing new what we're going through. But it is kind of amazing to think about how the birth of Christ leads us to the ultimate shepherd story, but then what does it say about you and me? What does it say about our faith? I'm going to take a quick break, and on the other side of it, I want to help us unpack something about why Christmas is so important to celebrate, why it's so special, and now more than ever before, how you may be hearing a lot of voices that are coming at you for your faith. Friends, family members saying, oh, that's a bunch of poppycock. We're going to make it illegal. We're going to, we're going to change the law, so we're going to redefine biblical uh, traditions and biblical foundational relationships and then make it illegal for you to tell us that we're wrong. But stand firm in the truth, brothers and sisters, because you have a shepherd story to tell as well. And on the other side of this break, I want to tell you what it is and why it's important for you to tell it. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and, and Happy, Happy New Year, Year from all of us at Wilson Financial. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the, to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, we are taking a look at the story of the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And um, obviously the birth in chapter two, but the kind of preamble, if you will, in chapter one. And then focusing on our attention on something I like to call the shepherd story. And why the shepherd story is, I mean, obviously there's a story that the shepherds tell, but why it's important for us to put ourselves in that story. Oftentimes we'll see that Christmas pageant and there's a young girl playing Mary and a young boy playing Joseph and someone just had a kid and they, they play baby Jesus and somebody else has little children around and they have become angels or donkeys or you know whatever it is and we, we think it's very, very cute. But the reality is what happened that night was so holy and had a holy impact on everyone from Mary and Joseph and of course, baby Jesus and the wise men who got there a year and a half later and the shepherds. But this is where you and I, brothers and sisters, can see ourselves in this story. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, worship Christ, the newborn king. That song is for you and that song is for me. It's for everyone who has by faith received the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The shepherds were not special people 
in the world's eyes. Even in the eyes of the Jews, they didn't have a voice in the Jewish courts. But God said they were special. In the same way, Perosinus, uh, the Greek uh, term for when the king does battle with another king and vanquishes his opponent and then starts take, counting up all the plunder that they get because they, they won the battle and says, I'm taking a couple of these things for myself. You're going to be my special servant, and this animal is going to provide a meal for us, and whatever it is, it's going to be. And so even though the Pharisees didn't see the shepherds as anything special, God said, oh, yeah, this is where I'm starting this. It's Mary and Joseph were obedient. The Christ child is being born by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you shepherds, you shepherds who ordinarily would tend the flocks that would ultimately grow up to become sacrificial lambs, if anyone understands what a blemish or unblemished lamb looks like, it's you. And the multitude of the heavenly host came and encouraged them and equipped them to go see the Christ child and then tell people what they saw. Knowing full well that the Jewish leaders would say, they're crazy, we don't, what they say doesn't mean anything. But more and more people would hear. See, God is constantly taking the people that the world says have no value. The world says doesn't have a platform. They're not influencers. And instead says, you take this message to all people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill to all people. Goodwill to all people is available. But there's a way you get the goodwill. You can't just say, peace to you, brothers. Goodwill. But what does James tell us? If you see somebody who's hungry or they're cold or whatever, you don't just walk past them and say, be warm and well-fed, keep on walking. You have to do something about their temporal situation. In the same way that Paul reminds us in Titus, hey, guess what? The gift of God is available to all. Salvation is available to everyone. But if you heard it from him, you might not believe it. If you heard it from a Pharisee, you might not believe it. If you heard it from a pastor or a priest, you might not believe it. But God went to those who had been marginalized the worst, were the lowest of the low, and said, you get the most important message of all time to share with people, and that is that Jesus Christ is born this day. The Son of God is here. God's plan of salvation and redemption has come. It has begun. And I know you're not going to believe it, but you'll see it. You are a special gift of God from God to the people of God. Don't forget that this Christmas. Doesn't matter what your situation is right now. Doesn't matter what kind of discrimination you're facing because of your faith. It doesn't matter how many relationships have been fractured. You might be preparing to celebrate Christmas kind of by yourself even because maybe there's some disagreement between you and people in your family. I pray for reconciliation, I pray for healing, but please stand strong in knowing what the truth is. If you recognize the shepherd's story that God has given you to tell, go tell it. Go tell it on the mountain, over the fields, and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Salvation has come, and the free gift is available to all who will believe that Jesus is the Son of God that his death on the cross pays the penalty for your sin and my sin, and that his resurrection power is the same one that we experience and will experience for all eternity. That's the good news of Christmas, and that is the bottom line. Merry Christmas. Welcome to this special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and glad that you have tuned in today. Of course, it is Christmas Day, and this is a day that we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the culmination of 
the Advent season, the last night, and if you had a chance to go to Christmas Eve service or yesterday during the day, um, and I hope that you did. I really hope if, that your church actually did something that my church did. Gosh, the last time I remember this calendar showing up and me being on the preaching schedule, it's been a couple of years. But it was in 2017, and uh, I, I think this was the calendar we were on. And um, it was just interesting because there's the big debate always. Do you have Christmas Eve Sunday morning service knowing that everyone's coming Christmas Eve, you know, whenever? And then there's the big debate. Do you do Christmas Eve service? Do you do Christmas Day service? I get that. I've been in those meetings before, know what it's like. Uh, you know, I think where we've landed, and I've, I've talked about this before in the program, but I just want to begin by kicking things off here before I go into a little bit of a, a homily, if you will, a little analysis, balance, and clarity segment on the birth of Christ is when you get right down to it, in Jesus' day, yeah, we see this, this goes back all the way throughout the Old Testament. When God created the heavens and the earth, the way he defined a day was this. He said there was evening and there was morning. And in Western world, well, modern contemporary world, we have it all mixed up. We think when the sun comes up, that's the start of the day. And when the sun goes down, that's the end of the day. But what we don't realize is that when the sun comes up, that's actually the middle of the day. And when the sun goes down, we put the whole day to bed, and then we start with evening. It's interesting how we talk about being children of the day, children of the light, but we don't realize that in God's economy, what has to happen, darkness happens first and then the light. And it's really somewhat symbolic in a way, because the people walking in darkness, we're told, saw a great light when Jesus arrived. And even though God had his children, God's chosen people, the children of Israel, with him on, on earth anyway, for thousands of years before the birth of Christ, the idea is that when Jesus makes his appearance, first as baby Jesus <laughs> in that manger in Bethlehem, that's when the light is about to shine. If you remember the uh, conversation I had with Elliot Wallach, the filmmaker, about the uh, the movie about the, 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 the different things, aspects of the life and death of Jesus Christ. And one of the things he talked about is the fact that the star that was shining in the east that was hovering over the manger in Bethlehem was stationary. And when you think about it, the, the characteristics of a star would defy that from happening. There's no way that a star in its natural state is going to stay anywhere. And yet the star hovered over um, the, the, the spot in Bethlehem, that hovering theme is something that we see in Genesis when God creates the heavens and the earth and before when the earth was formless and void, God is literally hovering over that expanse before he actually shows up. We're going to get into another place where God does a little holy hovering, as it were, when we look at our scripture story. But if, you've, if you are wrestling with today the idea that your church it had a Christmas Day service and you can't understand why other Christians don't, or if you didn't have church yesterday morning, but you had it yesterday evening and you're frustrated that that happened, may I submit to you, this is just, this is grandpa talking. <laughs> Not every day that Roger goes into grandpa mode, but with four grandchildren that are with us right now and two more that are getting ready to make their debut, one in March and one in April. I really feel this more than ever before, and I just wanted to impart it with you before we go any further. 
so many people get hung up on the cultural traditions of the day. When do we worship? How do we worship? Do we use, uh, you know, debts or trespasses? Do we use wine or grape juice? How do we do it every week for communion? Do we do it once a month? How do we do what we do? And, and, and we can really kind of put ourselves in a bad spot by majoring in the minors. But when it comes to the celebration of the birth of Christ, don't get hung up on, was Jesus actually born on December 25th? No, he wasn't. Is the celebration at the start of the winter solstice something that the church kind of took over? Yes, and I think that's, that's appropriate because Jesus had a history in his earthly ministry of stepping into things that were cultural traditions and turning them into eternal celebrations. Wait till we get to Easter, and we got the Passover, and you know the Last Supper, and the you know, the new uh, covenant in the blood of Jesus, the fact that he takes over the Pesach uh, festival that was a celebration of spring and rebirth, the fact that he takes over Pentecost. I mean, the, every, everything he touched, he made his own. So why wouldn't he make this winter solstice not about the celebration of the start of winter, but rather the revelation of the light of Christ? So if you're celebrating and you're wondering, okay, is it right for me to have not gone to church today? Or what about going to church last night? Is it okay to do Christmas Eve services when the sun's still up? Here's where I land on this, and I hope it helps. There was evening, there was morning the first day. If you really want to split hairs about when to celebrate the birth of Christ or when to worship God, we all should be going to church on Saturday night, as far as I'm concerned. That would make the most sense. Saturday night is just as sacred as Sunday morning. When it comes to Christmas Eve services versus Christmas Day, if you choose to worship on Christmas morning, bless your heart. I know a lot of churches who do. It's a very powerful time. I've preached many times on Christmas morning, and I love it. When you get right down to Christmas Eve, though, if we're celebrating the birth of Christ, and and then, of course, the wise men who show up two years later, but in our Christmas pageants, they all show up that day. The way I read Scripture is Jesus was born in the evening, and so the Christmas Eve service is the one to do it because that's the night be celebrating the day. So that's when you do it. And if you do not have a worship service on Sunday morning, or but you had one Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening this year because of Easter Sunday, you're fine. Not that you asked, but a lot of people talk about it, and I just felt compelled to speak on it. So there we go. Okay, I, I don't want to call this analysis, balance, and clarity, when it really is more of a, a preaching time. But I want to focus on something I think the culture misses when it comes to you know, how does God interact in our lives and how do, our, how do we react? There's been a lot of conversation this year among church people as to whether or not God still speaks in our lives, moves through our lives, and what kind of obligation he has to us, what kind of obligation we have to him. What do we do in our salvation story? What responsibility does he do? Does he perform? And how should we look at people in scripture? I've seen lately, there's been kind of this, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's kind of a feminist push that looks at Mary because highly favored and says, wow, Mary's incredible. Well, she is highly favored, but she's incredible. Look at what she did. Look at if she's a young girl and she defied the odds and she stood up to a patriarchal society and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, wow, you know, I have read this story in Luke chapter one, so many times, and I've never seen that. So I went back this year and decided, okay, I'm gonna do a little digging, do a little research, do a little prayer, and see what I come up with. 
and share it with you. And so I want to share this with you. We'll take a quick break. If you have a Bible handy, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter one. We're going to look primarily at verses 26 through 38. And then we'll jump on down to Mary's Magnificat because she's got a pretty remarkable story to tell. But it tells us a lot about who we are in Christ and that hovering thing that we talked about, God hovering over the formless void before he created, plays a huge role in this too, okay? Take a break, come back with a look at Mary's life coming up next as the bottom line continues. Hey, Roger Marsh here with a special announcement for our friends at Preborn. This Sunday, December 31st, is the end of the year. It's also the end of the calendar year. It's also the last chance you have to make a tax-deductible donation to Preborn to support the ministry of providing free ultrasounds for women who are expecting and not quite sure what their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, your $28 donation provides an ultrasound visit and also will be doubled, so that's worth $56. If you make a $15,000 donation right now, which is a great thing to do if you have the means. It's a great tax deduction for you. It provides one ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic right here in the Southland. But also, since the gift is doubled, your one ultrasound machine becomes two. But you have to act before midnight, December 31st. Give a gift online at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner that you find right there. It doesn't take more than a minute to make the donation that way. Or give them a call, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY. 850-B-A-B-Y. That's 833-850-2229. Preborn is the best pro-life ministry I've come across in years. The preborn ultrasound technology is life-changing and life-saving. Give a gift today. Welcome back to this Merry Christmas Monday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We are celebrating the birth of Christ, of course, and of course the Advent season, remember, has two different uh, meanings. The first advent, of course, is the revelation that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. All that came true, uh, much to the dismay of many progressives. Secondly, though, the advent that Jesus will return. And so we get to celebrate doubly during Christmas time because we celebrate the anticipation of the celebration of the Lord's birth, but then we also get to anticipate the celebration of the Lord's return. To those who are looking at what, what happened in the lives of Mary and Joseph, and they kind of see Joseph as just a prop and Mary's a superstar. And heck, there's one segment of the Christian church that actually looks at Mary and has given her uh, deific status. I mean, basically mother of God. So therefore, I, I, I used to jokingly say when I was younger, they call her the fourth member of the Trinity. But why is Mary highly favored and what exactly happened? What, what kind of courage did she have to show? in the face of this, uh, you know, what was happening societally. I mean, here's a young girl who's pledged to be married. And of course, in Jesus' day, uh, when a woman was pledged to be married, that engagement was basically a marriage certificate. It was just, we're going to work out the details. It'll take us a year to get this together. The guy had to go build a house for his new bride. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that happened. But once you were engaged for what we would say, you were basically married. And so when Mary finds out that she is expecting the, um, the, she tells Joseph and Joseph is told in a dream not to divorce her, even though Joseph's like, well, wait a minute, I'm not, I might, may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but even I know, um, hey, wait a minute, you are, you know, your girlfriend slash fiance is pregnant. You did not have relations with her. Therefore, you should just write her a certificate of divorce and go on. 
But that doesn't happen. And that's in another conversation in the other gospel renderings. But here in the uh, book of uh, Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we see that uh, Elizabeth, who is the wife of Zechariah the priest, who never thought she would get pregnant, she is advanced in years, as scripture tells us, and she finds out she's pregnant. Now we are going to learn later that she is pregnant with John the Baptist. So a distant cousin of Elizabeth is a woman called Mary. And she has an encounter with the angel Gabriel that really tells us everything we need to know about her. This is Mother Mary, this is Virgin Mary, this is Mother of God Mary, if you're in the Catholic tradition. But let's take a look at what Mary does, what she doesn't do, what God does through her, and what we can learn from her example. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So what's Mary's response? Well, what would you think if you're a teenager and an angel shows up and says, God is pleased with you and you're highly favored? Mary, verse 29, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. This is the second time that the angel comes and says to her, I mean, the second time in this soliloquy of his, you have found favor. You are highly favored. Favor, 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 favor. Why is that favor so important? Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Now that must have been a real head spin. If I had been in her sandals and someone had told me that, well, obviously I can't conceive. Well, in California, you might sue for the right to conceive if you're a guy, but you can't. Um, (laughs) She says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and she knows that she has not known a man. She knows that she has not, she's been faithful to her covenant with Joseph, they're not going to consummate the relationship until after they get married. But the Holy Spirit says, you're going to get, you're going to conceive a child. And when that child is born, you will call him Jesus. Now, if I'm Mary, I'm a little concerned at this point because Jesus was a pretty common name. And she's like, okay, great. So I'm going to get pregnant with no physical contact. I'm going to give birth to this child and I'm going to name him Jesus. And this angel keeps telling me I'm highly favored. Verse 32 of Luke chapter one, the angel says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will have no end. And so Mary asks the angel a question. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Take a look at what she didn't say. I'll give you the angel's answer in a second, but then we're going to circle back around to Mary. Mary's question is a great question. How will this be since I am a virgin? And of course, we might think logically, well, you're right. I mean, you're a virgin. You did not have a relation with a man. And yet you're going to be pregnant and give birth to this child and you're going to name him Jesus. Verse 35, the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's that word again. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then Gabriel really blows her mind and says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She is. 
And she who was said to be unable to conceive is actually in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And then Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. There's that word overshadow again. You know what's interesting about this? If you look at this, in the, was it the Septuagint, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Greek rendering of the Old Testament? The word overshadow that the angel uses to describe God in Mary's life is the same word that we see in the Hebrew in the book of Genesis, where God is overshadowing the formless and void earth. The Lord is, the spirit of the Lord is hovering, hovering, hovering over, overshadowing. Now, when you hear the word overshadow in English, I know what you probably think of, I do too. And that is, I am a superstar student at school, but I'm always overshadowed because my sister is a better student than me, or my brother's a better athlete, or whatever it is. Overshadowing kind of gives you the impression that if something is overshadowing you, it means that you're invisible, that you can't be seen. But in God's economy, the Greek here for overshadow literally means that God is wrapping himself around you. The Holy Spirit will come on you, Gabriel says, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So you're wondering how this baby will be born? This is how. And notice it's a direct response to her question. When Mary asks the question, it sounds like a rhetorical one. The Holy Spirit says, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. And Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? But notice what she doesn't say. Oh, no, not me. Mm -mm. I'm not. No, I'm too young. I got my whole life ahead of me. I'm not carrying no baby. Nope, 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 nope. That's typically what you would expect from a quote unquote young independent woman of the day. I mean, most of the women that Jesus hung out with, we'll see over the next 33 years after his birth, were pretty stand up. Stand, I mean, not every woman in Jewish society or Roman society or whatever was meek and lowly and just kind of sat back and took it. There are a lot of women who spoke their mind and had opinions. And, you know, quite frankly, if you look at the Old Testament, especially, there are places where women were elevated to positions that men didn't want to take. Think of Deborah, for example. Here in this case, I mean, it, it, this isn't a question of her being some kind of feminist because, I mean, quite frankly, uh, the angel was respecting the fact that God had created men and women to have different functions and men were not capable of carrying children. So if someone was going to conceive a baby by the power of the Holy Spirit, it would have to be in a woman's body. That's really basic. And Mary is highly favored, right? Bloodline, right? Pedigree, right? Everything for this. But when she asks the question, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's not pushing back and saying, I don't want this to happen. What she's saying is, I'm in, I just don't understand. And that's huge. Have you ever found yourself trying to work with someone who are you really need a buy-in, if you will, on a project? You really need to know there's a commitment level. Ladies, if you were, wa- I don't know how many of our audience are in the uh, engagement business or wanting to be engaged. I think about this, gosh, this was probably six years ago. Um, lovely couple, Adam and Alexis, now Adam and Alexis Olson, they're married. Um, dear friends of mine from way back, I've known Adam since he was a young man and he got involved in a 
relationship that kind of went sour, his first marriage. He got married young and it ended within a few months because his first wife just said, oh, you know, I really wanted a wedding. I didn't want to get married. It was was kind of a bummer for him. Then he met Alexis and wow, he was head over heels for her. And I remember preaching on the 24th of December, 2017. And I'm standing up in front of the congregation and they were there. And I'm sitting here, I don't know if he's going to ask her or not. They've been dating for a couple of years. But I was talking about the whole promise of the Holy Spirit and, you know, how putting a ring on it, especially at Christmas time, and how a lot of people think that that's what Christmas is all about is those kinds of gifts. And it was so funny because once it was over and I was out doing a little last minute Christmas shopping myself, I got a text from Adam and he said, basically, you dog, how did you know? And there was a picture he had taken Alexis out shortly thereafter and given her her ring. And now they're the proud parents of a son and a daughter and they're just a delightful young couple. I always think of them when I see this, this whole overshadowing and promise. Because Gabriel doesn't come in with an unhealthy disruption in Mary's relationship with Joseph. He comes in with a righteous one. And Mary's response is not, let me think about this. Let me get with my girlfriends and find out what I'm going to do. Her initial response, if we miss it, we'll say, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Seems very logical. But she's not saying, see, since I'm a virgin, this is not going to happen, so you can't let this happen to me. She's all in. And the reason she's all in is because even before Gabriel tells her that the Holy Spirit is overshadowing her, the Holy Spirit is overshadowing her. The same Holy Spirit that will conceive the child in her womb is already conceiving the concept in her mind that this is happening. And so when Gabriel then says, hey, you've got a cousin, her name is Elizabeth, she's older, and right now you haven't seen her in a while, but you need to go see her because she is not only pregnant, but she's six months along. And when we read verse 39 and following of Luke chapter one, what happens when they get together That's when John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth, Mary shows up with Jesus in her womb and John sees Jesus even in the womb and starts jumping for joy saying, it's him, it's him, this is the one. But Mary's response to the angel after he handles our practical concerns gives us marching orders that anyone, men and women alike, can follow and use kind of a litmus test for how our relationship with God is going. Let's take a look at that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Merry Merry Christmas Christmas and and Happy Happy New New Year Year from from all all of us at Wilson Financial. Financial. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to this Merry Christmas Monday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at the story of Mary, taking the birth of Christ from Mary's perspective, and specifically in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, where Luke writes, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, right bloodline. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Then Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Lord's Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was the one who was said to be unable to conceive. She is now in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. And then Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, here's the issue. Mary's response initially, the first question, how will this be since I'm a virgin, is not a pushback saying, I don't want this. She's saying, I'm in, but I don't understand this. When the angel Gabriel explains that the Holy Spirit is overshadowing her, her response then is perfect. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Your circumstances may stink right now. They may be tough. They may be perilous. You may be going through maybe the best year you've ever had or the worst. As the Lord's servant, God's word will be fulfilled in you. Paul tells us that in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Mary had no logical reason to be happy about the fact that she was going to have to endure public ridicule and scorn for being pregnant. So would Joseph, because they, people found out that they weren't parents together, and yet she was pregnant. They would just gossip and gossip away. If they had paid attention to the gossip, Joseph would have written her a paper of divorce, sent her on her way, and he would have been thought to be a great guy for being such an upright dude, for putting her away privately, as Scripture tells us. But instead of following the culture, they listened to God. They kept their eyes on him. They listened to the Holy Spirit and their prayer, often and with great passion, was, we are the Lord's servants. May your word be to us fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, let the Lord's word be fulfilled to, in your life today, this Christmas time. Understand that the best present that is under the tree for anyone is the babe in the manger, wrapped in swaddling claws, and here to save mankind. Merry Christmas from all of us here at The Bottom Line.